Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be ever pleasing in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Each of us should have two pockets, the rabbis teach. And one pocket should be the reminder, I am dust and ashes. And in the other, we should have written, for me, the universe was made. For you, the universe was made. Why did God create the universe? Why did God create you? Out of love, for the love of it. But I'm speaking here of you are not just being the object of God's love, but also the subject. God needs you. This is the audacious claim that so many of the mystics from our tradition have made. Angelius Silesius, the German mystic, said, if God stopped thinking of me, he would cease to exist. God is love and love needs the beloved. This isn't to say that if God didn't have us, he would cease to be omniscient and, or eternal. But it is to say that love needs to give itself away. That's why singers sing and dancers dance and writers write, because they need to, they have to in some sense. In creating, the artist expresses their true nature, who they are and what they are. And the same goes with God. This is why in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created such a parade of shapes and colors and creatures, mountains and oceans, sights and sounds, all of which glimmer and shine with his presence. But then he does something more. He creates human beings in his very image. Why? To be in relationship with them. Because God is love and love only exists in relationship. And we, our very natures, are love, created by love and for love. Our first lesson read for us from the Song of Songs, the Song of Solomon. And you'll remember these words. The voice of my beloved, look, he comes leaping upon the mountains, bounding over the hills. Who is this beloved? My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing in at the windows, looking through the lattice. My beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. Who is this beloved? It's God. It's God who is courting us. We are the beloved, and then God becomes our beloved. Of course, if you're like me, you know this intellectually to be true, but you might, might find it hard to live out on a day-to-day -day basis. The voice of the beloved can often get drowned out by resentment, bitterness, and jealousy. Perhaps there's something about our own life where we find ourselves coming up short compared to someone else's life, which we ought. Perhaps we haven't been recognized as they have, or maybe the recognition we've received has been negative. Perhaps we've been given certain work to do or been denied certain work to do. 
Maybe the way we've been negatively recognized has something to do with our education, our family, our physical appearance, our charm, or our finances. Maybe one of our siblings made it big, and we never seem to emerge from their shadow. Whatever might be the case, we find ourselves not as favored as someone else whom we think we could have been or should have been. We are like the characters in the Polar Express, you remember. They ring the silver bells, but they can no longer hear the tune. The temptation I am highlighting here is the almost constant allure to be someone else, to want another's life. This is illustrated wonderfully in an old Hasidic tale that says that, that, says that uh, Rabbi Zusa, I think that's how you pronounce it, when he was an old man, he said, in the coming world, they will not ask me, why were you Moses? They will ask me, why were you not Zusa? In other words, the task is to learn again to say yes to our life. Yes to the God who speaks to you at the very heart of your life. What else is bitterness, resentment, or fear but love trying to break through our lives? Arise, my love, my fair one, come away. It reminds me of a conversation I had just a couple of weeks ago with an older member of this congregation. She observed that in most every couple she knows, there seems to be a care giver and a care receiver. And she'd been talking with an old friend who was lamenting the struggles of getting old and caring for his wife. And that's when she told him, oh, Charlie, we can never complain about getting old because so many were denied the privilege. And she began to recall all the friends and siblings who never made it to old age. Those who were snatched away young by disease, by war, by accidents. We can never complain about getting old. So many have been denied the privilege. I get today, she said, a day of gardening, grandchildren, I can listen to the birds and bake for my friends. Here was a lady for me who got it, who had learned to say yes to her life and the God of love speaking at the heart of her life. But that doesn't mean it's easy. A good friend of mine from my college days just got a phone call, got the phone call, she heard from her doctor that her migraines weren't just innocent headaches. She found out that she has a brain tumor. Here's what my friend said about her experience. Learning awful news right before Holy Week is equal parts holy and horrible. In May, on a retreat in the mountains of North Carolina, I took a solo hike and stared at a mountain hoping for some peace or something profound that people say they feel when they stare at mountains. Instead, I looked at the mountains and yelled a four-letter word until the sound of my voice disappeared. And honestly, I don't know why a psalm like that didn't make it into our Psalter. <laughs> Needless to say, the year of our Lord 2018 has been weird. When people told me 30 is the year you'll feel like an adult, I didn't think it would 
it, it would mean I'd have to deal with all the adult things within the first nine months of the new decade. It's been a strange set of things getting me out of bed in the morning with a sense of hope, she said. Bicycles, the hot bar at Whole Foods, various covers of the song Landslide, and good bourbon, in moderation, she assured us. But most of all, she says, because of this odd nest of people around me called church. The only thing I know for sure is that both joy and pain are better, more bearable when shared. So we need to keep showing up for each other in the midst of both, and maybe that's where we'll find God. Arise, my love, my fair one, come away. Sometimes it's hard to say yes to your life. That's why we need friends to help us. Song of Songs doesn't know of a love that causes pain or shields us from life's pain. The lover in this passage no more causes bad things to happen than a mother who watches her young child take a tumble on the playground. Love doesn't shield us from pain. No, love runs to be near pain. Love says, if the only way you can pray is to shout a four-letter word into the distance, that's okay. Can I come shout with you? It can be a hard thing to open yourself to this presence. It asks us to risk tremendous vulnerability to find the will to say yes to God in our lives. Because we live in a damaged world, riven by cancer, old age, broken hearts, and yes, broken churches. It's hard to find love through life's pain. And the only way it's possible, the only way it's possible is because we were created by, with, and for love. Love is our nature, and hearing love's voice is the way to be fully alive. You need not change to be loved by God, but the love of God will change you more and more into the beloved. St. Gregory of Nyssa, writing in the fourth century, said, when I face my beloved with my entire surface, all the beauty of his form is reflected in me. As we say yes to our lives and yes to the God speaking at the heart of our life, all the beauty of his form will be reflected in us. Amen.